0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Between the Lines, where each week we talk live with authors and other publishing industry professionals. Today, I'm happy to welcome Michael Angel, author extraordinaire, who is sitting in for Joshua Graham. Joshua, as some of you know, has just released his latest thriller, Dark Room, and is on a pretty hefty book tour this month. Either way, you can learn more about my (coughs) esteemed guest host, Michael Angel, by going to his website at michaelangelwriter.com. And you can also find Michael Angel on Facebook and Twitter, and his fantasy novels can be found on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and Smashwords.com. So um, you must look for him there. He's got some fabulous stories. I've read all of his stories, and I just love them. Next week, my guest host um, will be... Either Jill Urbach, who is amazing as well, or again C J West. We're not quite sure; it's up in the air, but it will be fun to find out, won't it, folks? And I'll be excited to welcome Michael back to our uh, show this month. Well, this coming month, um, and uh, and we're excited about him coming on as a guest. So that'll be fun. But before we get today's show rolling, we'd like to take a moment to invite you to connect with us on our own website which is www.dialogbtl.com and that btl stands for between the lines dialoguebtl.com. those of you in the chat room listening live to today's broadcast don't forget to ask questions we each week we offer up a few choice chat room questions to our guests so but and uh, stay tuned to, please because in just a few short moments we'll have on an incredible author, Jean Ray, who will tell us about her latest novel from Crown Publishing, Calling Invisible Women. I'm sure that this today's talk is going to be incredible. Um, uh, this is an amazing book. But um,
2: but Michael, welcome. How are you doing today? I am doing fabulous, Susan, and thank you so much for having me back on the program. It's It's really oh, an welcome. honor. You're welcome. I'm happy that you could be here. What's going mm-hmm. on in your life? Well, I've got a couple things I wanted to share with uh, the listeners, and I think you're going to find it rather fascinating. Um, Talk about going into a new medium, a a brand-new medium for a lot of of new authors, which is audiobooks. Um, Through Audible.com and ACX.com, uh, I've actually been able to uh, locate and get some super, some amazing voice talent who are working right now to produce a couple of my novels. So for example, *The Detective and the Unicorn*, uh, *Shards: The Darkfell Saga*, and *Centaur of the Crime* each have a, a marvelous voice artist assigned to it right now, and they're busy uh, creating and interpreting the work. And especially if you are a an, an author, it is really something. I can't really describe the rush you get from hearing your words, but interpreted by an experienced actor. I imagine this is close to maybe the way screenwriters feel when they see their work finally turn into the finished product on the movie screen or something like that. But finding the right person who conveys the emotions of what you're trying to write—it's been an amazing journey. And. um, the Second of the Unicorn and Centaur: The Crime will be out in late July and late August, respectively. They'll be uh, available from acx.com, audible.com, and uh, also on Amazon. And um, it'll be really interesting. So far, we've got the first 15 minutes done, and the rest of it is going to be coming in in chunks as they finish the production. So really exciting stuff. When I come back on um, the show probably in June, I'll probably have more to share with the listeners as to uh, uh, lessons learned uh, in the School of Hard Knocks on this, but really looking forward to it.
1: Oh wow, it sounds yes. fabulous. Um and and I I can relate to that feeling I've had uh some of my work produced um on stage and um it is incredible to see what a director will do with your work and then to see somebody actually performing your work is I I agree it's just mind-boggling and it feels so good and it's it's a kick. I mean, it's just a kick to see your own um words up somewhere where people can visualize it really see it instead of just reading it um so it is fun i'm i'm so happy for you um did you find that you had any uh glitches along the way was it difficult was it uh easy was it um did you did you just love it
2: Oh, I just absolutely loved it. If there were any glitches, they were on my end, and, and let me explain by that. You see, in addition to getting these actors to produce the work, in addition, I've been doing some reading of my own for, like, short stories and things like that. I, I have access to a studio, luckily, and a sound engineer, and I've been actually able to read some of these. And let me tell you, it is an art form, learning how to read stuff off the page in such a way where it's not reciting. You're really getting into it. It's kind of like... Um, Uh, reading or watching a movie and stuff. And and on that line, by the way, before uh, we we get into our guest, I do want to mention a really interesting thing for our movie buffs from the audience I think they're going to find really fascinating. Um, And uh, do do I have time to to talk about that real Absolutely. Let me give you some background here because this is a lot of fun. I was recently in Lincoln City, Oregon, attending a sort of seminar put on by the best-selling author uh, Dean Leslie Smith and his wife, Catherine Rush, and um, some of the stuff we were going over and learning were about genre structure, about cliffhangers and things along that sort of line. And we ended up, and imagine this if you can, a bunch of these best-selling authors getting together and talking about how they like to move the structure of their plot along with the cliffhanger, and Mm -hmm. emphasizing how you do this by watching uh, in chunks. Most of the movie, Jaws. Remember, the? I think it was 1977 or 1975, the classic right. Steven Spielberg film uh, with the ending and everything. Anyway, we're watching this, and what came to my mind was a lesson I had learned from Miss from Rush a long time ago, which was that a lot of great books or movies will tell you the ending in the first 10 minutes or so. It's a lot of fun to look for this sort of thing. Oh, wow. um, the most recent... Example I can think of is the film Avatar. Remember the big blockbuster about right. a year or so ago? Where I if you that. watch the movie, yeah, it's a fun film. At mm-hmm. the uh, beginning of the film, the, the, one of the first lines of dialogue in the film is the last line of the movie. The line, one life ends, another begins.
1: Mm-hmm. And it
2: provides you <laughs> almost a subconscious feeling of completion, of clarity, that, hey, we, we, we reached end of the journey. So we're watching Jaws. I have this in mind. And I sit bolt upright after the first ten minutes of the film and I say, oh my goodness, freeze frame. And people are saying, what's going on? What's going on? Let's rewind a bit. And they tell you the ending of Jaws in the first ten minutes of Jaws. Wow. And let me tell you where it is because I think people will be scambling over to YouTube or something to find it. After, um, well, first off, let me ask, do you remember the ending of Jaws, how it ended, Susan? I don't. Don't. What happened is, uh, is... They're after the shark out in this boat. The shark breaks the boat open, so the boat starts sinking. And Brody, the main character, has to fight the shark off by shutting a ear tank into its mouth. Oh, he yeah. then climbs up into the mast of the sinking ship. He's firing a rifle at the shark as it charges him. And he says, smile, you son of a... And he, the bullet hits the ear tank in the shark's mouth, blowing it up. Okay? Right. Sorry, I should have said spoiler alert, but come on, folks. It's been out 30 some odd years. You yeah. know this. Uh, In the the beginning of the film, Brody, after finding the first body on the beach, is looking through a book on sharks, you know, trying to learn about this adversary. As he's flipping the pages, one of the pages shows a shark sinking a boat by ramming it, just as in the movie. Then there's a a shot of a shark swimming towards the front page with an air tank in its mouth, and then finally, there's a shot at a sinking ship with the mast tilting down the same direction of the uh, of their boat when he's climbing into the mast and shooting at the shark as it's sinking. So, in a way, it's almost subconscious, but they primed you to see those images. The ending wow. of the film is in the first ten minutes. Wow, subliminal stuff! It's amazing to me. So it yeah, shows what, you isn't that that's so smart? It is. It shows the different layers of what can be done with different types of media, and uh, like I said, it's, it's all all due to really good quality writing and everything, and yeah. uh, that's what that's one of the reasons I just love this craft, love the biz, love seeing things like
1: this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, I have to tell you, talk about starters. Um, uh, I, I've been reading our guest's book called "Calling Invisible Women." And she has quite a beginning of her novel and um so I don't I'm I'm just going to bring her on because I want her to talk to her about how she came up with this visual. It's just incredible. So Jean Ray, you are on the air. I I am
0: delighted and what an interesting story Michael was telling.
1: Isn't Thank that incredible?
0: You. Thank- I was but, um, uh, what, Jean- what an interesting story uh Michael was telling. I was very it was good.
1: It was incredible
0: and um ex- experiences with um uh audible books.
1: Oh yes, isn't but, that something?
0: But let me tell you how this book, Calling Invisible Women, came into my mind. Okay um first of all we we have always lived i think with the metaphor of once a woman passes menopause she becomes invisible and this of course is that um when you walk into a room full of people men don't bend their heads and look at your tush anymore <laughs> <laughs> but but um this this is actually much more than that this is um this is real invisibility. This woman actually does become invisible. So if you'll let me read just a few pages from the beginning of the book,
2: and I
1: think that'll set it up. Absolutely, and I love this first paragraph. is incredible.
2: Uh, I would have to say as well, when Susan uh, read that to me, I was just riveted, so I would love to hear a bit more.
1: Okay, and from your voice.
2: Yes. I first
0: noticed I was missing on a Thursday. Red and I had already been for our walk. He went to sleep on the bath mat while I was taking my shower. Red is a Cairn Terrier. He's bath mat size. After the shower, I was standing in front of the mirror in a toweling robe brushing my teeth. When I looked up, I was gone. It didn't startle me at first, not exactly. I thought it was just some trick of the light, a fog that had built up on the mirror. But when I wiped my sleeve over the medicine cabinet, I still wasn't there. My toothbrush was there, floating by itself several inches out from the cuff of my robe. And the robe was there, the collar and the shoulders filling out the bottom of the mirror's frame. But I was missing I moved from side to side a couple of times, trying to fit myself back into the picture, but all I saw was the open shower curtain behind me, the tiles of the tub, the built-in shelf that held the shampoo and conditioner. I spat out the toothpaste, and there in the sink, looking exactly like toothpaste. That was when I thought, Stroke. Pieces of my vision were missing, even though I couldn't imagine what kind of stroke would just remove a face, a neck, a hand. Leaning forward toward the mirror, I gently tapped my invisible fingers against my invisible cheek, and what had been a finger was stopped by what had been a face.
1: Mm.
0: Curiosity was quickly being replaced by a wall of rising panic. I was 54 years old, and I was gone. Red, I said, trying out my voice. Unlike the rest of me, my voice was still there. Red lifted his head from the bath mat and looked straight at me, his brown eyes bright and full of recognition. He wagged his tail, thinking that maybe I wanted to go for another walk tentatively I held out my invisible hand to him wondering if I was dead and if I was what effect it would have on the poor dog but red sniffed the place where my hand should have been and gave it a couple of licks I felt the rough wash of his tongue working over my phantom wrist which I took to be a good sign and so I went back to the mirror again still not there I went into the bedroom feeling lightheaded or feeling like someone who didn't have a head, and sitting down on the edge of the bed which gave a creak of recognition, I picked up the phone and dialed the back line number at my at Arthur's office. I suppose that any day one finds oneself to be invisible was not going to shape up to be a lucky day. So when Mary when <laughs> Arthur's nurse, Mary, answered, I shouldn't have been surprised. Arthur has three nurses, and getting Mary on the phone was the definite equivalent of drawing the short straw. Dr. Hobart's office, she said, impatient from the start. Mary, it's Clover. I need to speak to Arthur. I was struggling not to hyperventilate i could see her shaking her head he's in with the patient is there something i can help you with maybe she thought i was calling in regard to a sick child even though she knew that nick was twenty three years old and evie was twenty can you get him for me he has patients waiting in all five of the exam rooms with fourteen more in the waiting room her voice was both flat and brisk He's in with the mayor's wife right now. Their second grader has a rash. It could be a tick bite. We've got a vomiting toddler in the room three. In room three, and a first-time mother in room one who has brought in a week's worth of used diapers that she has been refrigerating because she thinks the stool is inconsistent. <laughs> I get it. I said, though there was nothing even notable about her report. This was Arthur's day, all day, every day. From the beginning, he walked into the office of his door until the minute he left. And even when he left, much of his work managed to follow him home. I understand it was her job to protect him in any way possible, to use herself to create a human shield between him and the world. But I never did appreciate the fact that she applied the same shield against me I almost never called the office.
1: Wow. Do you want to You? Know, me? Wow. Yeah? I have to tell you, Jean, you know, you've you've set up this I just love this and uh and I read as a writer. So, um when I was reading this, I thought this is really quite brilliant. You you set up the the main character as the person who's basically Fallen away into the woodwork and um, has become a non-person because of uh, society, age, and whatnot. But then, really, when you juxtapose your husbands or your husbands, the, the main characters' <laughs> husbands, um, you know, uh, uh, situation against the the main character herself, it's really she really has quite a full life now, especially becoming invisible. How did you come up with this notion? I mean, yes, you know, postmenopausal situations and all that, but really how did you grab onto this notion and run with it in this way? Well, I'll tell
0: you, I had a head start because for um, nearly 20 years I was married to a physician. Yeah. So, So I know how that works. And then... For another almost, well, 15 years, I worked for a physician as a nurse, and and I know what nurses do in the office, and I know certainly how hard physicians work, and they get home late, and there's always an excellent excuse for that, Mm -hmm. and you they come home to a ruined dinner which you fixed to be ready at 6:30 and it's now 8:30 and it's mm-hmm. you know all dried up so i i really know what nurses and doctors offices do and i really know what doctors do and i really know what nurses and wives do and i think that's part of the gift of being an older woman does that explain what you asked? Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. I think Michael, I'd like really to tell you I made it up, but I didn't. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. Thank you. Well, I think
2: yeah, I think that's part of what it gives it such the uh, such a, a ring of genuineness is is you're writing it really from from the heart on this one really, and yes. one question I had too about the story, and I, I, I hope you can answer it so it's not a spoiler, but one thing also intrigued me is after this happens with Clover, um, how does she discover that there are other women like her, other women of a certain age that seem to disappear? Can, can you talk about that at all, or does that give away a major plot point?
0: No, it doesn't. It. Uh, I can talk about it. Yes. Please. She uh, Clover was, in her life before her marriage and then shortly after, uh, when she had more time, she was a reporter. She studied journalism in school, and mm-hmm. she worked for the for the daily paper. And slowly, as we all know about paper newspapers, they they are going downhill quickly.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so she she who used to do a daily column was now um, is now doing a weekly column about. A gardening about which she knows very little. <laughs> but she still picks up the newspaper every day, and she goes through it. Now she's looking in the want ads because she wants to find something else that she can do. Her children are grown, and mm-hmm. she's feeling like she should be able to do something other than cook meals and
2: <sighs>
0: do the laundry. Mm-hmm. So she finds an ad, and the ad just says... Calling Invisible Women and um, the Shirt Hotel at 10 o'clock. And I think my thought was, you know, if anybody else who wasn't invisible saw that ad, they'd think, oof, funky, kooky, (laughs) some kind of ad for call girls or something. I don't know. Right. But she and she knew intuitively that that's exactly where she needed to be, and so that's how she found her group of women.
2: Wow, wow! I'm I'm just I got goosebumps listening to that because what I love is not only is there this transition from the metaphor of an invisible woman to a physical one, but now ooh, this is like a whole other sub world that's opening up now, and mm-hmm. I I don't know about choose Susan, but I'm like I want to find out where this goes now, because it's not just her. And on that note, the other question I had, because, like I said, I just find this fascinating, is when we started off the interview, you talked about the the disappearing woman being like a a, a cultural expression or phenomena, however you want to call it. Where do you suppose that, that comes from, per se? Because it is interesting, after a certain age, if you're female, you kind of vanish off the marketer's list. You vanish off of television, off of movies, except in very specific roles. Why do you believe this is the case? Well, I think
0: part of it is because your energy changes, and I believe we all put out a certain amount of energy, whether whether it's sexual energy or whether mm-hmm. it's, um, I don't know, energy trying to find a job or Mm -hmm. all kinds of energy but i have seen and i have been the kind of woman who can walk down the street and draw people to me Mm. and without you know without any trouble at all people would would come to me and i believe it's because at that time of my life i i I had uh, whatever you want to call it, a shine, a glow, there was mm-hmm. something, um, n- and not just sex, but just um, there was a a come-hither kindness, shall we say, uh, that emitted from my soul, and I think lots and lots of people have that, both men and women, when they're younger. As they Mm -hmm. grow older and they grow more tired, for one thing, uh, and their hormones go down, they lose a lot of that, and that becomes discouraging, and then they start to think of themselves as being invisible and um, bad bad turns into worse and then you know walk down the street and their clothes aren't really fitting maybe as they should and they wore scuffs today because it's a lot more comfortable and wearing high heels and they didn't comb their hair this morning and who bothers with makeup anymore it doesn't do any good anyway and why should i smile at that person that's coming down in front of me because I don't really <laughs> feel like smiling. I think that's how men and women become it invisible. Is. And oh, I think yeah. they have to turn, they have to learn to turn that light on in other ways because there are many, many ways in which we can have um have that shine, have that glow, have that come-hither-look, not in a sexual
1: way. Right. Uh-huh. You know, I just love that you are talking about this because I am um, just recently post-menopausal and um, loving it, but also I understand all of these aspects <laughs> when you started talking about wearing your scuffs because they're more comfortable than heels. and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, And men probably can't get that, Part of the uh, the hormonal change as much as women, I think, because it's so drastic, I think, with women, I think it's a lot more, um, oh, how should I say, just a little smoother for men. You know, they smooth into um, older age. And um, for women, it's uh, a matter of five to ten years, and boom, you're there. And, and it's not an easy um, transition. It is a very... Difficult. It was for me anyway. Um, it was very difficult. So the fact that I look at myself in the mirror and just recently have thought, I've got to put on some lipstick and maybe I should start wearing ma- <laughs> mascara again. That would be nice for Bob. <laughs> but I still so get that. Um, and I love that you're you're writing about it in a, in something that is society-driven um, and really markedly a female thing um there's other people that have written about uh menopausal women and postmenopausal women and in like mystery genre and you don't know, mess with that menopausal woman type of you know story but yours is a real societal issue and concern um so i just want to say thank you for that and this is a remarkable story um so let's talk about how you actually got into writing. Um, your daughter, Ann Patchett, is a very well-known author. She must get that from you.
0: You know, that's what people always say. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> However, in, um, in Ann's and my case, I I really always wanted to be a writer, but my parents were um people of the gener of the generation of of people who had gone through poverty during the depression mm-hmm. and they had 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 their share of trouble getting jobs and keeping jobs and keeping a family going and For me, I was their last child um they wanted me to have an education where I could always get a job. And nursing seemed to be the most viable choice. I actually was very interested in nursing from the beginning. I mean, my, my basic love was writing, but I think my secondary love was caregiving. And I have many pictures taken... Of myself when I was four years old in a little nursing suit, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So I I really didn't mind that idea. I didn't rebel against my parents, which probably kids now would. But I went on and I became a nurse, and I really loved it, and I was really good at it, and I did it in various capacities for forty years and i I loved my patients, I loved my peer group. I usually loved the doctors I worked for it was It was a terrific it was a terrific job. Not everyone would say so, but I would say so um, and then, when I was sixty, I had just remarried. I was very much in love with my husband um i we had a we had a lovely relationship with which was everything a relationship should have been and i was i was so happy and I had just gotten a really good job and I went to the grocery store one day now you figure back this was in um nineteen ninety eight so the baby boomers hadn't come to the fore yet, and people weren't talking about Miracle Face Creams and what plastic surgeon you could go to to look younger. People hadn't much interest in people over 60. And there were several magazines on the rack that said things like um, sex at 20, 30, and 40, or beauty at 40, 50, and no, 30, 40, and 50. Um But they never said anything about 60-year-olds. It was like, you know, you were headed to the precipice, and that was it. And so I had an overwhelming desire to write a book about uh, a passionate romance between two over-60s. Yeah. And I... I had just read Romeo and Juliet, and I thought, you know, that plot would apply itself very nicely to two divorced or widowed people who had families that hated each other for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. And if they fell in love, they'd have the same things to go through. And so I, I felt compelled to write this book. And... I still worked as a nurse, and I wrote it during the night. I would wake up about three, and write for a couple of hours, and go back to bed, and then do my nursing. I never told anybody that I was writing a novel because I have always, I've always felt that that sounds like the most pretentious thing in the world to say. Well, I'm writing a novel in my spare time, you know. <laughs> And so I never told anyone, and um, when I had it about half finished, I got up the nerve to show it to Ann, and she loved it. Mm -hmm. She absolutely loved the idea. She loved what I had done. I had made numerous technical errors, like I didn't know how to start a chapter and how to end a chapter, but she you know she loved it, and she encouraged me in fact, she harassed me until I finished that book and then she did me the greatest favor of all she uh gave it to her agent oh, and gosh. said, "Please read my mother, who has been a nurse
1: all her life book. <laughs> I can just see her agent's face oh <laughs> well, you know." but that wouldn't happen normally. I mean, oh, you know, you can <clears throat> you can have friends and family that writes, but how often really would you refer somebody? You know, because you they better darn well be good or the agent or publisher is going to go look at you as the referrer in a yeah. different light. You know what I mean? So so you're making a <laughs> <and laughs> fool out of yourself. Yeah, exactly. And so you you wouldn't refer somebody unless you knew that they were good. So that is quite a compliment, and coming from your daughter, that's an mm-hmm. incredible compliment. I would think you yeah. would be, feel very great about that.
0: Well, I did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> Lisa liked it, and she put it up for auction, and ran oh, wow. out, bought it, and it, you know, it it was on the bestseller list.
1: Isn't <laughs> that I mean,
0: fabulous? It's such um, it's such a crazy tale. No one really wants to believe it. You know, writers are always telling me that they have a whole
1: room filled with uh, the walls are papered with rejection slips. Yeah. <laughs> well, isn't that lucky? Aren't you lucky that you had such a a, um, a, a caring and believing daughter that um that she did that for you. Now I'm I I'm going to ask a question from the chat room. First of all, um the the question comes from Northern Flicker, one of our um chatters and thank you Nor- Northern Flicker for joining us again today. And um and but Northern Flicker also says it sounds like a scene in a sitcom that that you know you hand the book off to, you know, <laughs> Here, this is my mom. But um but the question from Northern Flicker which goes back to um, to what we had talked about before, and I want to find it here. Um, it says, this is the question, she, he, uh, Northern Flicker asks, and it goes back to invisibility. Then is she saying low energy equals invisibility? I think that's a good question. What do you think? Yeah, it is. Uh,
0: I think low energy manifests in so many ways. Right. I mean, you know, you I don't think that it equals, you know, invisibility, but I think that it leads to invisibility.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Like first you don't have the energy to put on your makeup and then you don't have the energy to go out for the day. And you don't <laughs> have the energy to smile and then you don't have you know, you don't have the energy to be nice.
1: You don't I'm just wondering if my husband called you. well yes as a matter of fact he did (laughs) good answer good answer continue i'm sorry um wonder i don't
2: yeah you're right
0: say but i have certainly felt the fluctuation in myself i want to tell you something just it's just a brief aside if i may yeah um I went out to dinner with a very good friend a couple of nights ago, and we sat across the table from each other, and she had a view of a table which was just behind me, and they were having a party. And there was a woman at the table who was taking pictures of the party goers, and of course I didn't see this going on. And all of a sudden my friend Joe got up, from the table and I thought oh well she knows someone over there and so she went over and she she uh said to the woman you know you're not going to be in any of these pictures and you need to be in the pictures with your friends and she took the camera and she took about eight more pictures of the group in which this woman was included Oh. And she came back and sat down and I said, Did you know those people? and she said no and then she explained and I thought, you know, that's the way people become visible. Yeah. They do something, they take a little chance. I mean those people could have been rude to her or something mm-hmm. um and they extend themselves. They see something that someone needs and they know they can do it and they extend themselves. That's beautiful. It really was. It made me love yes. Joe even more. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: You know, you, you've, you've got me thinking now as well because um, a lot of the, the themes and your experiences have resonated with me because my mom, uh, my mother, was is also a registered nurse. She's retired mm-hmm. now, of course. And she went through, I think, a fair number of the things that you talk about. Um, I was an only child, for example. Once I left and had my life on my own, you know, that was one element of it, and on top of that, my dad wasn't a doctor, but he was an engineer that worked some very long hours, so I think that was some components of what was going on with her, and the way she, I think, has kind of blossomed in recent years is she's taken up a new hobby that's given her some recognition in the arts. Uh, she's actually a photographer now. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's really inter- it's very interesting, and she's really she's won some awards there and everything. So my question on that same line is, um, I don't want to make this turn this into necessarily about self help, but you know I'm sure people who read this are going to put this down and go, what can I do so I don't end up having getting startled by seeing a group of you know for the invisible people, how do I keep a little of that come hither glow that that oh let's I'll call it creative energy. That attracts people to you, that sort of thing, mhm. what kind of things would, would would can we would we be talking about uh like hobbies helping out people doing things more actively
0: yeah you know it's it's very difficult because I think i mean it's very difficult to know what works for you, but I think certainly, you know, if you have a neighbor and they're not feeling well, taking them a bowl of stew is the nicest thing you can do, mm-hmm. and they will appreciate it greatly. But also, sometimes it's being on the street and just smiling at people, or uh, mm-hmm. reaching out and touching a child's head, or um, in a gen- in a very genuine way. I don't mean just. <laughs> Not senseless grinning, um, but just um, and and always being on the lookout for something that needs to be done. If there's a piece of trash laying on the sidewalk, bend over and pick it up and put it in the trash. You know, um, mm-hmm. I I think it's very hard. I don't want to make this about self-help. I think it's very hard to go over these things but all I can say is if you're living and if you're looking you'll find things all the time that mm-hmm. you can do that draw people to you. Mhm. You know if you see somebody I... whose nose is running, hand them a Kleenex. Mhm. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> That's so true though. It's
2: it totally is. It yeah. is. I think it is, and you know these are these are things that they're they're small but they're very very critical, and I think it's all part of being you know good. I think being a good human being, for lack of a better word, and you know one thing I do like about about how life affirming this all is 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 um, is how people can continue to grow. In other words, if you have lost some of that glow, there's no saying you can't get it back necessarily. That's right. You're and not um, dead until it's over.
1: <laughs> oh no,
2: definitely not. Which leads me into my next question, actually, and maybe an observation too, which is, I really just loved hearing your voice talking to me, telling me the the beginning of that story. And I know a lot of people will have probably asked you; they've certainly asked me, "How do I be a better writer?" One thing I'd like to know, based on your knowledge and your and your work, how can you be a better storyteller? Well,
0: I think that reading and and listening to stories is is the and life observations too. Mm-hmm. But I I think, you know, I always tell people who want to write and I say, what do you read? And they say, you know, I don't have time to read. Mm-hmm. And I say, you've got to read. You've got to learn to read critically. You've got to know when you read what makes you happy, what makes you sad, what bores you, you've got to think about those things, and you've got to read everything you can get your hands on. I also think, here in the South, we're very fortunate because we have a lot of storytellers, and you can go to these storytelling conventions and just sit and listen to people tell stories, verbal histories, whatever. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, it's Mm -hmm. so wonderful. And I, I think it's uh, putting your putting your senses out there, get grabbing hold, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. taking taking them in. Absolutely. I don't think there's a muse out there who gives it to you. I think you give it to yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you on that. I totally Absolutely. agree. And you, you know, that um, there's a, a, a phrase that, that I hear all, um, you know people banty around. God gave us two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. You know, and funny, we also have two feet and two hands, so we're meant to do, not necessarily speak. We're supposed to see, listen, observe, you know, all of these things, Uh, read, definitely read. And uh, I'm so glad to hear you say that because this is a mantra, and I am always surprised when people say i only read magazines yeah and and that's fine that's fine i mean magazines i'm not disting magazines at all it's just that you need to open that up and read longer Mm -hmm. too you know and and uh, i think that that your suggestion of of the storytelling going and and listening to people tell stories is a fabulous one because as writers we tend to think of Stories in the written form, and so we either we get them by um, reading them or writing them, right? So mm-hmm. I love though to sit and listen to people tell their stories. Oh, they um, so magical. They're so talented. Who Oh yeah, and you are have a, a down in the south. Oh my goodness, tons. I'm sure we mm-hmm. have a
0: lot of that. That's one of the nice things about living in the
1: south. Oh, that's wonderful. So it, with with um calling invisible women your uh latest release from Crown Publishing um what do you, what would you like to have people walk away from when they read this what 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 would you like them to feel and and think about after reading calling invisible women hmm. Well I would like I would
0: like people to see how much Clover grew from going through that struggle, how, you know, she was really down, and then when she realized that there were other people that were invisible and she realized that there were things she could do when she was invisible that she couldn't do when she was visible... And when she started practicing those things and going out and being proactive, um, she she found herself. I mean, she really found herself. Now, uh, I'll just divulge this because it really isn't important. Clover does not get her visibility back at the end of the book. Hmm. Um, I thought that would be kind of a cop-out. But I think that... Everybody who reads the book will believe that she eventually will. But I think that she she learned all the things we were just talking about. She learned that there are a whole heap of things besides the way you look that encourage people to see you Mm. and help you feel like you're being seen and appreciated. And I want... I want people to see that I'm not sometimes I'm not sure that they will, but I
1: hope so. Well, that is amazing and she learns that all as and and applies it all at as being an invisible person, which yes. is a beautiful, beautiful thing that you've done you I'm just so thrilled about this story, and by the way, I want you to know that I will be posting a review on my blog um within the next month, so um I will let your publicist know about that when that goes live. So, Great. but um, thank you. You're welcome, and thank you for joining us. I can't tell you how happy I am that you took the time out today to uh, come in and talk with us on your uh, about your latest book, Calling Invisible Women. It's it's really a wonderful read, and I I encourage people to go out and buy this book and uh, just thoroughly enjoy it, like I am. Good. <laughs> Well, and you've been wonderful.
0: Uh, this is probably the best interview i Yes, without a doubt, the best interview I've had. And I appreciate your questions, and I appreciate the kind things you say. Oh, and I'm just glowing. So. People can see me from miles away.
2: so no. you're not invisible. <laughs> no, is glowing and attracting people.
1: Yes, you are. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Jean. This has been remarkable. You take care.
0: Okay, you too.
1: Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye. Well, what an incredible person! She's just so sweet, and uh, and you know, words of wisdom. This is just a an important book, and it's set in this really um, kind of tongue-in-cheek, um, funny, sarcastic, witty uh... format and and storyline and it's just the beginning is just incredible well you heard it i just love that first paragraph it just draws you in immediately there is no way you're not going to read something when uh, further i should say in a book when the first words are i looked in the mirror and i was gone you know, you, right?
2: You have, you have to oh, I have to story. talk about a magnificent, magnificent beginning, and just it just draws you right in. I mean, anybody listening to this show, I, I'd be very surprised if they didn't pick up a copy because oh yeah, I'm just I'm just sold, and just some of the things we're learning about this, and some good lessons to be learned in here as well. You know, more by example than anything else, and I for one am looking forward to it.
1: Oh, I'm I hope you get it because it's fabulous, and um. And just the uh, the, her listening to her reading voice isn't isn't that wonderful? You know, we very seldom will have people on, and but mostly they're here to market their books, which is fine, and that's what the 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 whole reason we exist is to promote authors, right? That's the Mm -hmm. dialogue exists just to promote authors, and but seldom do we get into the the time a frame where someone will actually say, could I read? And it's remarkable when they do so. It was really lovely to hear her read and to have her read on our show today. So uh, thank you once again. Jean Ray, author of Calling Invisible Women, this just released by uh, Crown Publishing. And um, so, um, you know, it's getting to that time where we have to say adieu. um, But... Just, I wanted to say it once again to Michael Angel for being my co-host. You're just remarkable. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. It was absolutely a pleasure. I'd love to come back.
1: And you will. You will come back. <laughs> uh,
2: sounds like a warning. Right. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, this is a warning. He will be invited back to co-host. So thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Your questions were spot on and just wonderful and insightful. Um But we'd also like to thank all of you for joining us today on Dialogue Between the Lines, those people in the chat room. Thank you so much. You guys are just our biggest supporters, and we appreciate your taking time out of your busy days to give us a listen for an hour. Um, It's really an honor, and we uh, completely are uh, flummoxed by how generous you are with your time and and with dialogue and don't forget you can read more about jean ray's books by going to amazon.com but you can also find her in bookstores and as well she's on facebook so find her there um and by the way a podcast of this show and other equally amazing broadcasts can be found at blogtalkradio.com slash dialogue and uh, we'd like to invite you to connect with us on our website again dialogue btl that 's between the lines dialogue dot com and where we have a presence on Facebook and Twitter. Um, so be sure to tune in next week next week, which is going to be a fabulous show as well when we have uh, new york times best selling author Elizabeth George, she is an international um, best selling author as well. Her mysteries um, are set in england and she's just incredible and a wonderful personality and just so motivating i just adore her um we've met several times and um i could just go on listening to her for hours and hours she's incredible uh her latest book is and novel is called believing the lie it's fabulous and it's available right now thanks again to, for listening to today's broadcast and thanks to those of you in our chat room of course i said that but don't forget to tell all of your friends about dialogue We hope to only serve you, our listeners, and our guests. But until next week, I'm Susan Wingate with Michael Angel. So, goodbye for now. Mm